Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. We all remember in Las Vegas the horrible day of October 1st, 2017 with the mass shooting. And we spoke a couple months later with Mayor Carolyn Goodman. And she said, we're going to do everything possible in the city of Las Vegas to make sure not only does something like that not happen again, but safety is the ultimate issue. In that matter, there's a thing called Shot Spotter, and Las Vegas has it, and we've got somebody on to talk about it, which is fascinating. It's Daniel Lawrence, Senior Research Associate at the Urban Institute. Daniel, first of all, kind of tell us what Shot Spotter is. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. And um, Shot Spotter is a gunshot detection technology, which is a tool for law enforcement agencies that uses a network of acoustic sensors placed throughout a city, typically in high places and in, and in high crime areas. Um, and these acoustic sensors, they triangulate firearm discharges so that the departments can be better notified and officers can respond faster to shooting events. And the Urban Institute recently conducted evaluations in Denver, Colorado, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Richmond, California, where we assessed the implementation, use, and impact of this technology. Do you see a change? I mean, is the community safer? It's a great idea because especially places where you've got, unfortunately, a lot of possibility of gunfire, uh, time is everything. Sure. And, yeah, we looked at this in a number of different ways. The Urban Institute looked at this um, by examining uh, how departments are made aware or notified of, of shooting events uh, and the response times of those events, as well as how this technology may impact crime in the communities that it's implemented in. In terms of um, departments becoming aware of shooting events, gunshot detection technology um, is hands down uh, notifying departments of shooting events much more than the traditional 911 calls from community members. So looking at um, Denver, Milwaukee, and Richmond, in each of those areas, we saw large increases to the amount of shooting events that officers were then responding to after the technology was implemented. And what was critical here is, is um, aspects of seasonality and time of day. So what we learned is that when community members aren't present in the community, so overnight when they're sleeping, or when it's colder outside and they're more likely to be inside because of the cold, right. at those times the technology is much more likely to notify departments of shooting events because community members aren't present in the community to hear them and call the police. Right, and it's got to be a little more reassuring as somebody goes out to deal with this. You kind of know what you're going into, right? It's not somebody calling them up with either a decoy or maybe they misheard that. I mean, they they know that what they're going for is something that's serious. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we found that we did interviews with police officers, and they they were much, much more trustworthy of gunshot detection alerts than they were of CUNY member calls. Not that CUNY member calls weren't valid, but that they had less accuracy. Because a community right. member would call and say, I heard a shooting, but it, I don't know exactly where it was. It was in this general area. I'm, this is where I am. But the officers would then have to take a more cautious approach to those 
events as opposed to a gunshot detection alert, which is literally a pinpoint on the map. And in many cases, we talked to officers and they said they would arrive at that pinpoint and look down and there'd be shell casings on the ground. That's incredible. And now this may be an ignorant question, but bear with me. How do you differentiate or how does it differentiate between a gunshot or maybe a a firework or something of that nature that is a similar sound? Yeah, so the technology uses this network of acoustic sensors to um, identify any acoustic anomalies that occur in in an urban environment. And that includes things like cars backfiring or construction noises or even helicopters going by. And when that when the technology is identifies those acoustic anomalies, it actually sends information. In this case, to the technology the vendor that we evaluated was ShotSpotter, and they're located in the Bay Area. So it sends that alert to ShotSpotter, where at their headquarters they actually have um, human technicians who observe the wave files and assess the, the audio to confirm that it's a shooting event. Um, they then publish that alert. It goes back to the police department and into their dispatch system, and then officers can begin their response. And that entire process from, from the shooting event to the officer beginning their response happens very quickly. It can be within 30 seconds to a minute. Wow, 30 seconds to a minute. That's incredible. And I guess they also know then, if that's the case, whether it's a single shot or whether there's numerous shots, right, and you can kind of follow this, is there some sort of way where they kind of monitor the entire flow of this, you know, campaign, if you will, of whatever uh, gun activity there is? Sure. This is especially relevant when it, um, if they make an arrest and then they have a court case. We interviewed prosecutors and they said that they would use the audio files in their case to identify um, uh, the, the motive for a shooting or whether or not the shooting was in self-defense because the audio files include the, the the shots um, that, that that occurred, but they also include other things like um, people yelling or uh, other noise that might be picked up during the shooting events. Um, so they can use that to then um, identify who shot first, or was there one shot, multiple shots? Um, you know, it, they, the technology is even capable of identifying if the the shots are spread out, so it looks like it's coming from a vehicle and it's actually traveling faster than a person would be running and shooting. Um, so there's a lot of ways that this information can be processed to inform the dispatch, the patrol officers who are responding, letting them know what kind of event they're actually responding to. Daniel, what have you at the Urban Institute found in terms of uh, the response to this by community leaders, by politicians and so forth? I mean, have people actually mm-hmm. questioned the invasion of privacy? Because now it's, you know, I, I could imagine somebody could see this as Big Brother listening. I mean, obviously this is for people's sure. safety, but some people are very uh, sketchy in that regard. Sure, and that's understandable. Um, it isn't open in, in public space. Um, it's not a technology that's constantly recording or constantly you know, picking up on people's conversations or anything like that. It does collect a, you know, a segment of an audio file when there is a shooting. So if there's a shooting that occurs, um, there is a, typically it's like two or three seconds on either side of the shooting event. Um, so it does pick up that information. Right. But it, and, it's- oh, I, sh- I should also add, sorry, the, the Urban Institute um, conducted uh, community member focus groups in each of the cities that we uh, evaluated this technology in. And community members were very... Um, uh, appreciative of this tool for law enforcement. They wanted the officers to be aware of shootings that were occurring in their neighborhoods and responding to those shootings. So we didn't actually have any 
negative feedback from community members in, in regards to this technology. One negative aspect of that, though, was that community members believed the technology was implemented across the entire city, so to the point that they thought they didn't need to call in shootings to the yeah. police department anymore. The reality is that it's it's typically implemented in a very high crime, high known shooting area of a city. And when community members hear a shot and they believe that it's covered by the shot spotter um, technology, they felt that they didn't need to call into the department. When in reality, if they're not in that coverage area, the department wouldn't know about the shooting if uh, if they didn't call it in. Right. Well, and it's not the police departments aren't encouraging people, hey, if you have a shot spotter, they're not to call in. Right. This is just another tool right. to use that that in a lot of cases may be more effective. But you still want that 911 call, don't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's always additional information that a community member can provide that this raw, this you know, pure data um, may not be able to provide. So in places like Richmond and so forth, they were, you know, and Richmond's a high crime area. I grew up in the Bay Area, and there's a lot of issues there. What's the overall goal of this thing? I mean, do we want it in all the major cities and places? You know, like I, I just think of off the top of my head Chicago, where there's such difficulties every weekend in terms of shot, gunfire, that kind of thing. So the so for law enforcement agencies that are either considering implementing this technology or even wanting to improve it if they already have it, um, what's really crucial here is integrating it with other technological um, aspects or investigative practices for the department. Departments being notified of shooting events and having officers respond quickly, those, those are benefits in and of themselves, but it's really how they then investigate that shooting that's critical to the department's success. So departments can either do the bare minimum, which is just respond to a gunshot detection alert and get officers to the scene, or they can go a step further and and conduct canvases, they can interview witnesses, they can collect shell casings or even guns at the scene. And then there's other technological tools at their disposal, such as the ATF's ballistic information network that can connect shell casings from a single gun across a number of crimes in a city, and that can produce additional leads to investigate. So the, the technology, the gunshot detection alert is really a starting point, and it's how it's integrated and used in investigations um, that's really crucial for the department's success. Also, in a place where maybe it's not a high crime area at all, but there's just a large uh, gathering of people, like, for example, we remember the shooting in Las Vegas, okay, is there a possibility of that being set up in such a way where, as the technology gets better, at least even the people around there They'll know immediately where that shot is coming from, and it kind of at least eliminates that kind of search for and you know kind of doing it the hard way, waiting for the next shot to see where that's coming from. Where they, they it could increase uh, the response to that. Yeah. So in terms of like the accuracy of the technology, they the the vendor themselves have a I believe it's like a twenty five meter radius around the around the pinpoint, and that's just for a sake of um of uh of being safe in their in their technology, but. We found that through interviews with officers and sergeants, um, they typically will they'll find people you know testing a firearm uh, during a private sale in their backyard, and they'll find the pinpoint on you know the back porch, and they because it's a pinpoint that the the vendor sees that the officers can also see, they can then go and follow up with that um, resident and say, hey, we we believe there was a shooting occurring here. We want to clarify what was happening and and learn more about that, and it can be very very accurate. Um, second part of your question was in terms of response time. So we looked at response differences of gunshot detection alerts 
um, compared to those traditional 911 calls for service from community members. And in each of the cities for um, shots fired, um, which are just those types of 911 calls where community members say, I heard a gunshot, I'm not exactly sure where it was, we found that officers responded much faster compared to those events um, for gunshot detection alerts. Um, roughly 30 seconds to uh, three minutes, uh, three and a half minutes faster. And what was interesting about this was that it wasn't that officers were um, treating these types of alerts differently or these types of shooting uh, notifications differently. They weren't saying, this is a gunshot detection alert, I need to respond faster, or this is a community call for service, I'm gonna you know, take it a little bit more cautiously. The, the increase in response time really came from the technology being able to notify the department of the shooting event faster than a community member can notify a department. And we saw large increases in the speed that departments are notified and then therefore an officer can then be assigned and begin their response. Incredible. Last question is really involved with training. And I know you say this, obviously, uh, this is most effective when it's thoroughly incorporated into training. Is that going on right now, and is that kind of the plan as this thing is released throughout the country, that really uh, there has to be that part of the, the training and the implementation is just so important to really make it as effective as possible? Yeah, absolutely. And we found across each of the three departments that training was very light for this technology. In most cases, it was a very... Um, short, you know, less than 20-minute conversation with recruits about this is an additional tool that you can have and use in your responses. Um, we learned that training itself was implemented unevenly across the departments, um, also across time. So when it was first implemented um, in these agencies, you know, years ago, at that point, there was a lot of excitement around it. And because of that, they had longer trainings that went in more depth. Now that it's been, you know, out for a number of years and they're used to it as, a, as an agency standard, the trainings are, are much, um, they're, they're not as intense or as, as detailed. Mm -hmm. We also found that there are very few trainings for um, other stakeholders in the department, such as crime analysts, who can use the data from the system, from gunshot detection technology, and create crime reports or, um, you know, weekly or monthly reports to identify hotspots of shootings. Or even um, in Milwaukee, we saw that they were using this information to identify um, gang shootings and, and uh, retaliation of gang shootings and try to get ahead of the curve to prevent um, future shootings as, as in the form of retaliation. So there's a lot of data behind the scene that's important to these agencies as well that can be used. Um, but if they're if the crime analysts aren't, aren't even familiar with the system or they're not using the data um, and then they don't learn about it through training, then they can't use it and create these types of reports. Well, as you can hear, the Urban Institute does some great work. Daniel Lawrence, thank you so much for being with us. A couple things before we go. Uh, where do we find out more about gunshot detection technology? And then secondly, if we just want to get involved with the Urban Institute and see what they're doing every day, where do we go? Sure. So gunshot detection technology, there's a few different vendors out there. Um, our evaluation focused on ShotSpotter. They're the, the, um, they're the large vendor in, in the field on this. Um, the Urban Institute, uh, we're located in Washington, D.C., and uh, our website is urban.org. And we have, um, and I say we as my, uh, my team that worked on this study, we have a number of publications coming out on this evaluation, but there are a couple things out on, on already that you can find on urban.org. Daniel, thank you so much. We enjoyed chatting with you today. Thanks so much.
You've been listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast with new shows loaded twice weekly. Got a guest idea? Email us at info at VegasNeverSleeps.com and catch the show live every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, coast to coast on the Biz Talk Radio Network. I want to tell you about 360debtfree.com, a proven method of becoming debt-free that the banks don't want you to know about. And at 360debtfree.com, it doesn't matter what your credit score is. Isn't that right, Mike Margroff? You don't have to have perfect credit. You don't even have to have good credit. A lot of the people that we do business with, they can actually change their credit and improve it you know, by doing business with us just because of the way our, our proprietary program works. You know, you don't need additional lines of credit. It pays off all your debt, not just your mortgage. And any interest-bearing payment, is, as far as that goes, all they need to do is go to 360debtfree.com, grab a copy of our free ebook, Turn Your Debt Into Wealth, and have your free personal financial analysis call with one of my experienced advisors. I guarantee it'll be an eye-opener for them, to say the least, Thanks, Mike. Go to 360debtfree.com and download the free ebook. Then schedule a free personal financial analysis call. Go to 360debtfree.com. Start turning your debt into wealth at 360debtfree.com. That's 360debtfree.com.